All right, folks, welcome back to the podcast, One Man, One Tree in a Hill. I'm your host, two-time wrestling champion, stand-up comedian, Jared Waters. And right now, we're on episode 66, part two, a caregiver for a caregiver with Miss Dr. Alora Bellinger. Ladies and gentlemen, stay tuned, and we'll see you soon. So, okay, so I think a lot of people, some people, like, you know, I'm from the South, too, so I meet a lot of fr- friends who are Republicans. Some people support the party, not the person. You know what right. I mean? And so... so- what prompted me, because you said that what prompted me was to read a book called um, Conscience of a Conservative, because I'm like, I've got to understand this. Like, I need to know what conservatives stand for, you know? And so when I started kind of reading through it, I'm like, oh, okay. Like, yeah, that, that makes some sense. I would actually, I would support that too. Actually, I, I would definitely support that. So once I kind of read through that and he and I started talking, then I also kind of started setting some boundaries because at this point, when we met, shortly after that, my dad got sick. Mm-hmm. And so I was trying to like, or got sicker, I should say. I was trying to like deal with that and also kind of be that like supportive person of like, okay, he wants to share these things with me. Let me be there for him. When in reality, I'm just like, honestly, dude, this is the last thing I'm trying to think about right now. Um, so during that time period, it was just very, it was very rocky because once my dad got sick, it was kind of like things sped up again for like the tenth time in my life. I feel like mm-hmm. things sped up a little bit faster than what I wanted them to do or wanted it to be. So let's go back. So we meet. So we meet Jonathan. But before that, your mom she passes away in December. You're yep. you're doing things to numb the pain. Mm-hmm. You're boomeranging your platypus around and you're drinking and stuff like that. And, and so when, so when do you graduate college? You graduate, do you delay college? You graduate, when do you, do you graduate in 11? I do. I graduate on time in 2011 from Pepperdine. What's it like in California? Do you still, still like, are you going to stay in California or do you go back to Texas after you graduate? So I go back to Texas, but then I come back to California for a guy that, you know, yep. I boomeranged again, came back to California and then I finally came back to Texas and then I stayed in Texas. So this was 2011, came back to Texas, fall, winter 2011, back to California, early 2012, then back to Texas, May of 2012. And I haven't left since. Why are you bouncing back and forth? What's, what's going on out there? Yeah, so I had met this guy before I left California and I just was very enamored by him and thought things were gonna work out. And with me leaving, that's the only reason why things didn't work out. And I really wanted to go back to California, even though, again, I was, I knew subconsciously like, no, he doesn't wanna be with me. Like he was calling and texting me, but he's not. But I didn't wanna believe that yet because again, I was trying to be in control of my life and what people did in my life so at this point i was still trying to control everything my i mean i still have control issues it's a little less now but i was still trying to kind of control and limit the amount of pain that came into my life and i thought moving back would mean like oh well he and i can be together i can stay in california and get a job and then i can like you know go to grad school no joke was on me (laughs) Do you go to grad school? I do. Into the doctor program. Oh. So the doctor program is grad school. Um, Luckily, I did not need so doctorate of physical therapy. I did not need my master's to go in before that. Mm -hmm. Um, It was pretty much a bachelor's 
bachelor's to doctorate program, but I took a few years off. Um, I needed to bring up some of my grades. So when I was an undergrad, I got, I think, C's in both chemistry and physics. And of course, they're looking for a certain GPA. And so I went back and I retook those courses. Um, and then I also just wasn't really sure the direction I wanted it to go in. I still was very kind of in this lost state of mind of, all right, I'm done with undergrad, I should be able to get a job, but I wasn't. It was really hard to get a job with a very science-based degree. Right. You know, right. in undergrad, they don't really tell you like, hey, if, you're, if you have a science degree, unless you have an internship that leads to a job, you're most likely gonna have to go to grad school. Because I wanted to go to med school, but I didn't want to be in school for that long mm -hmm. anymore. I just didn't, I'm like, I don't want to be 35 finally making money. Like, I don't right. know. You know, like, I don't want that. And so, um, you know, at this point, I'm thinking about physical therapy. I found out that it's a doctor program. So I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Well, I can still be a doctor, so to speak, mm -hmm. but I need to learn more about physical therapy. And I did. I learned a little bit more. I worked in a clinic for a short time. Um, and I enjoyed the amount of time that I get to spend with my patients. It's not a 15-minute session and then I'm done. You know, I feel like when, when you're a doctor, you don't get a lot of time with your patients um, or you don't make a lot of time. And in this instance, I'm like, oh, cool. I can spend an hour with my patient and actually get, make an impact on them and not just give them pills. Like I can actually walk them through and help them be self-sufficient. Correct. So um, while I was taking prereqs, I was living in Houston. So I was working two jobs. I was... Um, I was working in a doctor's office and then I was working as a personal trainer, but then I ended up going full-time as a personal trainer because I enjoyed it more. And um, I applied to like- body, What year does your body change? Because all of a sudden- Oh, you mean like fitness-wise? Yeah, all of a sudden. I was like, oh, she's a bodybuilder? I didn't even know that. Um, I you really never noticed until someone changes their body. You never, you know, you never do it. And I was like, yeah. No. You really don't. So the first- the glimpse of that was after I graduated college. The clinic I was working for in Houston before I moved back to California, um, the, I was training with one of the coaches there. So I was working as a tech, but then I, during my lunch break, I would work out with him. And he got me really lean. How old, I, what? How old is this guy you're training with? Oh God, I was 20, he must've been late 20s. Oh, okay. He must have been late 20s, so like 27, 28, somewhere around there, and I'm like 22. <clears throat> and so he, former NFL player, now he's a coach, top personal trainer in the area. And so he got me really lean, but then I blew all that to shit when I went to California because I did not know how to keep up with all of that. Um, but I started back at it again in 2013 before PT school. So I was a trainer. Um, the gym I was working at, one of the owners was actually a former bikini competitor. So she had been in fitness for years. Um, so I was teaching a lot of her classes. I was working out a lot more. I was, she had me on like a diet. So I started kind of getting into fitness a little bit more then. And then um, I really didn't get into it. And again, I would say I got into it again after PT school. I again, being the studious person that I am, I did not make much time for the gym in PT school. It was just, I mean, it was just too hard. It just really was too hard to try and be in a doctor program that's not 
just a doctor program, it's an accelerated doctor doctorate program. So essentially I'm graduating six months earlier than a standard three-year PT program. And I'm trying to balance all of that. And then on top of that, my dad gets sick, sick while I'm in PT school. So then I'm having to manage that and like come home on weekends from Austin here to Beaumont to check up on him and things like that. So I really didn't focus on fitness until 2016, 2017, like really focus on it. And it became my drug of choice. It became my, that was my me time. Because mm. once I graduated from PT, got a job here in Beaumont, I decided to stay because my dad needed someone at the house. That was the, really the only time I had time to myself in the gym. Is that where you had you finally found the control that you're looking for? For the most part, I still was struggling a little bit here and there because I didn't know how hard it was to be a caregiver to a parent. Mm. So my dad, when he got sick in 2015, also lost his leg. What was he sick so of? He, so he had COPD, emphysema, and then he had peripheral vascular disease, which is just, you know it stopped your blood flow pretty much. So he lost his leg. And I, he and I talked and I said, okay, well I can come home and stay for a little bit, but I'm not staying permanently. Like that was my thing. Like I'm not staying forever, dad. Like we can find someone to help. And so financially it was a good choice. Emotionally, it kind of rocked me again. Um, being the caregiver to a parent, is not as easy as I think I expected it to be, mm -hmm. especially for the type of personality my dad had. He was very much a, again, that military personality where I wasn't even, I did not feel like his daughter a lot of times. I felt like I was his surrogate wife. I felt like I was his, um, his maid or his caregiver who comes in and does things. I had to bathe my dad. I had to cook all his food for him. Um, if I wasn't working, I was taking him to his doctor's appointment. If I was working, we had someone else who's a family friend take him to his doctor's appointment. I was talking to all of his doctors on the phones, getting all of his medications, going out to get his money from ATMs and pay bills and things like that. Because although for a couple of years, my dad was going out regularly, regularly you know but it stopped he just no longer wanted to go out anymore so a lot of things fell back on me which mean i i had to put a lot of my dreams on hold i knew i was going to be a traveler i'm like i'm going to travel as a physical therapist it's the best way for me to pay off these loans and at a decent rate and still be able to like buy a house down the road or something like that if i want um but i couldn't do that fresh out of school i had to come here and emotionally, it just, it wrecked me again. And I found myself being, I felt myself getting resentment built up and anger, not just towards my dad, but towards some of my friends. Like, man, these are, my friends are my age and they're like, you know, living overseas with their military family or, you know, they are traveling for work. And I'm here in fucking Beaumont, Texas. Like, I mean, it was, I was just, I was, I hated it. Right. I hated right. it. Did you, 
did he ever like have that moment where you guys bonded where he's just like i love you did he ever say that we did we said i love you a lot you know as i got older like i said as i got older things got better so at this point we were talking we were communicative but he and i still could not get on the same level emotionally un to understand each other mm -hmm. it was still very difficult because our emotions are the same you guys are two fire people pretty much that's what we say so I, I always felt like if i was a personalities trying to understand the other one and it just was not working it wasn't working do you look like him when i smile so my smile looks just like him so i tell people from the nose down i look like my dad from the nose up, I look like my mom. I have his same exact smile to the T. Um, actually, if you look at pictures from when he was younger, my cheekbones are very similar to him and my mom's. So I have, I look more like my mom in general, but I have features that are very evident, like, oh, like those are my dad, that's my dad's smile. Like I have my dad's smile. I Is even have my dad's funny? signature. <laughs> Does anyone come help you or no? You're just, you're taking I care of myself. So his kids don't come and like, they did one time. They came one time when he got sick in 2015. And that was the only time they came. Um, I think my dad had tried, they had tried to like communicate. They said they were going to come out and visit and they didn't. Um, I called said, Hey, I'm going through some stuff this summer. Do you think you guys can come down? I always felt like I got lip service always felt like I got lip service. Oh, well, I got to see if I can take off from work. I just started a new job. Didn't you start a new job six months ago? Like what? Do you, do you think they didn't address their issues with him? Absolutely. Now where, where I don't think that they, there were things that they have not processed mm -hmm. and I don't think they were ready to face and that's okay. You can like, I was at this point where like you could tell me those things i didn't need the lip service but again you have to be ready to tell me that i can't tell you that correct so i just left it as is and said you know what i'm just gonna do it i'll do it on my own and i did for like i was in this house taking care of him alone from 2017 to early 2019 when we finally hired a caregiver um and at this point, the VA was not really paying for much. Mm -hmm. You know, he was paying, they were paying for someone to come in like a couple of times a week for only two hours. And I'm just like, okay, what does that do for food? So at this point, when I say like, I was meal prepping for the two of us, I meal prepped my food and his food because he was a different completely, he was a different eater. I like to have my meals prepped for the week. He was someone who wanted someone to cook every single night. And I was like, no, sir. <laughs> I cannot cook every single night, especially if I'm coming home late from work. Like that's not going to happen. So finally, when we hired the caregiver, I felt like a huge weight had been lifted off my shoulders because by the time we had hired her, I was in, I was in training for my first competition. So, um, I needed that extra set of hands. So when I was away at work, he, he figured out how much he could budget a month to pay her and still be okay we got that figured out she typically was here when i was not so i'd come home from work and she's already gone but she would cook meals for him she would bathe him she would have the house clean and stuff like that so i'm like okay this takes off some of the weight 
from me, like I can now actually come home and be his daughter. Mm. I can come home and sit here with my dad and watch a movie and talk to him and not feel like I need to go and clean up everything and go and cook something. That was a huge relief for me. So would you say at the end, you guys had a better relationship at the end? You guys really got the chance to like spend time. Yeah. We, our relationship got better and it got better over the last however many years. You ever hear him talking on the phone, telling somebody that his daughter's a doctor? You ever hear him say stuff like that? I have never heard him say that I was a doctor, but when I was making, uh, when I was making like um, address labels and stuff like that, he made, he made them for me. He made sure he put that on there. <laughs> he made sure, but you know, I really didn't know. I really didn't know how proud he was of me because every time I tried to give him some sort of piece of advice, it's like he wouldn't take it. He had something else to like say about it. And I'm just like, then why did you ask? <laughs> like, why did you ask me for this medical advice if you're not gonna agree with it? You know, yes, I'm not a doctor, but I can find out the answer for you a little bit faster than you can and get some clarification. No, didn't want to hear it. He was so stubborn. Trying That's to get him to go to the hospital when he was sick, if he wasn't feeling well, I, you couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. You couldn't do it. So you're all by yourself. You're doing that. You're, you're working. You're competing. You're doing that. So we're getting, we're, yeah, we're here. We're here at 2007. Yeah. We're here. We're here now where you are in life. So what, what happens? Does he get really, really sick coming up during this pandemic or? So I've only told a handful of people what happened. Um, so during the pandemic, my dad doesn't go out at all, which I don't blame him. Emphysema, uh, COPD, heart disease, high blood pressure, kidney, like he has everything. He has a gamut of things that, no, you don't need to go out. However, end of June, he starts complaining about having difficulty breathing and um, his blood pressure not staying up it was like in the 50s. And I'm like, okay, yeah, that's, I mean, it's not horrible because he wasn't feeling dizzy or anything like that. So I wasn't concerned, but I'm like, dad, like this, we might need to take him to the hospital. No, I don't want to go to the hospital. Okay. All right. Well, you know, you keep me updated on how you're feeling, how your breathing is doing. I also noticed that, so when you have, so he had congestive heart failure and when you have congestive heart failure, you tend to get a lot of fluid built up around your body, particularly in your limbs. So I noticed on his left leg, even though he was wearing a, comp a compression stocking, his swelling was not going down at all. Like I couldn't figure it out. And I'm like, something's not right. Like something's really not right. So I called the doctor, the earliest I can get him in was on July 6th. And I was like, cool, book it. I'll bring him in so you can take a look at his leg. Well, during this week, I also, we also call this a nurse practitioner with the VA and she video calls us the next day. And even she is telling him like, you know, Mr. Bellinger, I, I can see you and I see that you're really struggling and try to like get some air and try to breathe. No, I'm fine. Well, I can really hear the concern in your daughter's voice. And I agree. I think you need to go to the hospital. No, if it gets worse again, then I'll go to the hospital. And I'm just like, <laughs> you've got to be kidding me, dad. Because every time it got to this point, every time it got to the point where he was having breathing issues, things weren't his body, like he didn't feel his normal self. Right. It always ended up in me calling EMS. This time I had to call EMS.
this again, it was worse. The worst it had been since he got sick in 2015. He was calling for help. Luckily, I was kind of awake. I'd just gotten up around three o'clock in the morning to go to the bathroom. He's calling someone, he's saying, help, help, help. I'm running downstairs. I mean, I hop out of that bed and I'm running downstairs and I see he's in the bathroom and he's like, I can't get my pants down. I need you to help me stand up. So I'm helping him stand up. I'm getting him down to the toilet. He's situated. I step out and I go to start kind of cleaning up around the area in the house because he had an accident trying to get to the bathroom. So I was like, all right, cool. I'll clean all this up and then I'll come back in. Well, I'm not even out of the bathroom like two minutes and I hear a thud and I come around the corner and my dad is flat on his face on the ground. Mm. And I'm screaming. I'm trying to figure out. Luckily, I had a clear enough head to go and find the phone to call 911. So I'm calling 911. I'm letting them know what's going on. I can't, the first thing of CPR is to get the airway breathing. You've got to get the airway. I can't get him on his back. I can't get him on his back. He's dead weight. So the most I can do is I, I, I get his head facing the side to the side so he can get some sort of air. And I put his head on his wheelchair cushion. And I could just hear the gurgling and I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, I need them to hurry up and get here. Like, and I'm patting his chest like, dad, stay with me. Dad, stay with me. I'm trying to be as calm and as much of a health care professional I can be at this point. And finally, EMS comes, they come to the front door. They're able to pull him out of the bathroom, get him situated. They tell me that his heart rate had got down to the 20s by the time they got to him. I don't remember what they said his blood pressure was, but it was up there. Like it was not a good number at all. And so I'm, of course, like in the back, just trying to breathe, trying to just like, oh my God, like this is the worst it's been. Like, this is it. Like, this is the worst. Luckily, they said that they've stabilized him. So they asked me which hospital to take him to. I tell them with COVID and stuff going around, I don't know what these rules are. I don't know if I can even go in there. Luckily, they were letting people in. So at this point, he's at the hospital. They stabilized him, you know, um, they do chest x-ray, they do all this stuff, and they're telling me, like, yes, he has a lot of fluid around his lungs, we think it's pneumonia. Pneumonia really, pneumonia happens when you're, when you don't move. When you're old and you don't move, that's how you get pneumonia, because your lungs are not doing what it should be doing. And so they do the chest x-ray, they do a blood panel, and they tell me, you know, like, does he have a history of kidney disease? And I say yes, and they say, well, we're going to try to diurese him, which means he had so much fluid built up that his kidneys were not filtering out for him to urinate properly. So he's, of course, swollen as a dog. And I'm just like, that explains the leg. That exactly explains the leg why that wasn't going down. Well, the diuresis doesn't work. So by diuresis, it's like a cocktail of, I believe, medications that they do before saying, all right, we've got to get him on dialysis to get this fluid off. Mm-hmm. And so we put him on dialysis. And at this point, the first day the doctor was like, okay, you know, I'm a little worried, but you know, we'll see what we can do. And then he tells me the next day, the diuresis, the medication, the cocktail didn't work, but his liver is now involved. And we know that the kidney and the liver are basically brother and sister twins, so to speak. So if something's not happening with the kidneys, then the liver can't do this job and vice versa. So they say, we got to do dialysis. I'm like, okay, that's fine. You have permission to put a port in him. Well, the next day he comes back and he's optimistic. He's like, he did great. He's responding, you know, because I was worried with him hitting his head that he might have some neurological issues. They did a CT scan on him and they said, no, there's nothing going on with the head. He's okay. The MRI was fine. I'm like, great. So we're optimistic. And this is like Friday, Saturday night after that Monday. 
and we're looking good. So I'm like, okay, things are good. At this point, I haven't called my brother and sister because I'm like, we're good. We're kind of in the clear right now. I don't need to alarm anyone. I don't need to tell anyone. Well, Sunday comes and I call in the morning. He's doing pretty good. I get a call from the hospital that afternoon and they tell me that I need to come to the hospital. And I'm thinking worst case scenario that he's already dead. Well, the doctor tells me that his right side is very much so enlarged and he starts asking me about blood clots. And I told him, no, I don't think he's had a history. However, his leg staying as swollen as it was did have some concern for me as a healthcare provider and just as a daughter in general, knowing like, shit, I hope you don't have a blood clot. Like you're not moving. So, um, you know, and so they go and they try to kind of basically kind of get his medication in order to make sure that they can keep his heart kind of from overloading and pumping. Well, I don't even leave the hospital after an hour. And at this point, Jonathan is at the house. He was staying with me for the last couple of weeks to kind of, or for the last week with everything going on and just kind of helping me out. And I get a call again. And they tell me, you really need to come back down to the hospital. Mm. I get back down and the nurse tells me that he had already coded twice. So the second time they called me, my dad had already coded twice. Mm. So at this point, I, I knew I had to make phone calls. I knew I had to call my brother and sister. Um, some of my cousins and family friends had already known that he was in the hospital. But I knew I had to call my brother and sister. And, um, you know, she told me that his pupils had blown, which I still don't understand to this day what that means. I should probably look it up. But the way she explained it to me, she was basically saying that neurologically, your dad's not there anymore. That was my interpretation of what she was telling me. So I'm just sitting here thinking like, okay, well, if he makes it out of this, He's most likely going to have to go to a nursing home. Like, I can't take care of him anymore. Wow. Well, we're sitting here, and we're hearing code blues. We're hearing code blues. Pastor, or the, the I guess pastor, or the chaplain's coming out, talking to the family, letting us know, like, yes, that was Mr. Bellinger that they called the code blue on. But he coded five times. The fifth time, they could not revive him. Hmm. So five times. They saved my, or four times they saved my dad's life, but the fifth time they couldn't. And I think when I'd gone back to the doctor the second time, the hospital the second time, and the nurse had told me his pupils are blown, you know, he's on the maximum amount of blood pressure medicine that we can give him because she said that if they dropped any of that medication, he would die. Mm -hmm. He would not make it. And so they had maxed out on their medication. And I'm just sitting here thinking like, this, this is it. This is the worst that it has been. And I don't think he's coming back from this. So when I called my brother and sister to tell them, my brother had asked me that. He was like, okay, well, in your experience with him going to the hospital, do you think he can recover? And I told him, no, I don't. I was like, I don't think he's going to recover from this. And, you know, when the chaplain comes, because the chaplain was the one to come to tell the family um, that, every, that he had passed. And I'm just sitting here thinking like, both of my parents did not get to die in a natural way. Oh. I've had to, I've been in and out of hospitals with my parents since I was eight years old. Eight. Jesus Christ. Years old and I'm 31 now. Mm -hmm. And I never, really, I never really thought much about it because I guess being in and out of the hospital just became a norm for me. But at this point, I really was just like, 
my parents are gone. <laughs> like, yeah. my, my parents are gone. I am 31 years old. Most of my friends' parents are still alive. And I, I don't have parents. I'm parentless. And a part of me feels like my grieving process started for my dad five years ago when he first got sick, mm -hmm. especially because, especially when he got his leg amputated. And so when I saw that, he got his leg amputated and then he was still going back and forth. He was, and in the five years, he'd been going in and out of the hospital a couple of times, at least once a year, you know, for something related to his breathing. And I just kept thinking like, damn, my, this is, this is really how my parents had to go. And I didn't want to ask God why, because I didn't want to send myself into that spiral of why me. I mean, I've had a couple of instances of that so far, but I didn't want it to spiral as bad as it did with my mom. So I just... Let me ask you a question. From 8 to 31, you've been taking care of pretty much your parents. Who in your life right now is that person that holds up Alora? Who do you have in your life that is a God? Your, not, <laughs> even, God? not even a guy, but like who's you've been taking care of people your whole life, but who takes care of you? Who takes care of your mental? The funny people? thing is, I didn't have really anyone take care of me. And I think a part of it too was I almost didn't let I didn't really let a lot of people take care of me per se. I didn't want to feel like I was a burden. Mm. Um, but now that Jonathan and I are dating, the timing he came into my life is not coincidental to me. Right. I, I firmly believe that he was placed in my life at the time that I needed. Mm -hmm. We needed each other, probably me more than him. He, I needed him more than me in that moment or whatever, but I do believe that God's hand was on that moment because someone else had actually, someone, my coworker had asked me that. He was like, do you think that you and Jonathan met by accident? I was like, no, I don't think it was an accident because I definitely wasn't looking to date this year. I had made a vow to myself that my 2020 was going to be all about mental health. I was going to take care of myself mentally, emotionally, spiritually. That's all I was doing. I wasn't looking at to date. Mm -hmm. um, and so I have him to help take care of me. I don't really say, I don't want to say that I need someone to take care of me, but he does help. The day that I, the day my dad died, I came home, Jonathan had cooked all of the food for us. We both meal prepped. I had my food prepped and ready to go. He had cooked everything for me. He has been there for me when I am crying and being irrational and making absolutely no sense where it feels like I just have some sort of chemical imbalance going on that this, I don't even know what I'm talking to you about right now, Jonathan. Like, I don't even know where this reaction is coming from. Um, he gives me space when I need it because I told him that I needed that space. Um, I had been with him from the week my dad got sick, then the following week the family was here, then the following week Jonathan was still here. So I told him time, I need to process being alone as an adult in terms of not having parents. I can be alone when it comes to relationships. I can be alone with myself, but being alone and realizing that you don't have your parents to, completely different, completely different. And so, but he's not the only one. 
the amount of people that have reached out that were my dad's friends, Mason, Shriners, high school, high school friends, my, um, his community has offered their help so much. Anything that they can do for me, any way that they can help. It was uh, the same kind of with my mom. Anything they can do, anything that can help. And the difference between now at 31 and then when I was 18 is I know for a fact that I am not alone in this. Mm. In 18, it was very it was very hard for me to grasp that people want to help me. People right. want to help me. I'm not a burden. People want to help me. And so at 31, I realized that. I realized where I need the help and when I need the help, and I'm not afraid to ask for it anymore. Wow. That kind of summarizes our generation of people ask, not being afraid to ask for help instead of suffering alone, you know? Some of us are like caterpillars. We get into this chrysalis, right? Mm -hmm. We don't know how they got into the chrysalis. We just know the after effect. Oh, look how she's a beautiful butterfly, but we never know anything. Like if I had to write your story, I never knew anything like that. I just thought you were just a happy person that worked out the whole time. You know, it's and it's I never so funny. to be like and something something told me I was like I wonder what her life is I I wonder I wonder what she's up to because my I think my brother saw you my brother saw you and he saw you in Vegas yeah yes and I was like yeah I yeah I know and I was like what's she up to he goes I ain't have enough time to talk to anybody he goes you go really and I was like yeah then I was like you know what. And then when people kept asking me, they asked me about this. I mean, me and Carla, we talk all the time. And she was asking about this picture. And I was like, I'll find everyone. I'll find everyone. And I'll, I'll do it myself. Because the way you talk about it reminds me of that, how Shamar was. Shamar was going through this stuff. And he was like, nobody, nobody understands. Yeah. So he would dump it all on us. He would dump it all on that. And we're doing everything like that. But the whole time, he was reaching out to friends. Well, he was doing other stuff, but like when he was, when he was, when he, he was doing some wild stuff, but yeah. like he wanted, he wanted to feel love. And know? that's, and that is essentially all I've ever wanted. And I don't never, I don't never doubt that my dad did not love me. I just think his way of showing it was a way that I wasn't used to it. So I didn't know how to be receptive towards the things that he was trying to do. I it's two hot blooded people, you know, that yes, wasn't lovely. Completely, completely hot blooded. And Jonathan, by the way, is not hot blooded. He's very slow to anger, <laughs> very patient. And I'm like, thank God, because I mean shit, we can't have two hot blooded blooded people right now. But I think about my life and I think about how I grew up and I realized that as a kid, I was good at school. I was the good girl. I was the studious girl. Oh, we don't worry about you. And in my head, I'm thinking like, worry about me. Yeah, in my head, I'm, as I got older, I realized that I was still trying to be that person. Hmm. I was still trying to be that person who's like, no, perfect. When in reality, no, I was an emotional wreck. I was doing things that I probably should not have been doing, hmm. you know, and I didn't know how to express that 
without feeling judged. I was so scared that I was going to be judged. I was so scared that people were going to pity me. I was so scared that people were like, oh, but you were doing so well in high school. Like, oh, dang, she's not, she's not as perfect as we thought she was. And when I realized that, I'm like, I don't need to be perfect. I don't need to be who I was, who people thought I was in high school. You know, I, I, I understand why my, my mom did what she did, why she wanted me to have good grades. But I do think that is a very dangerous situation to put your child in because it develops this perfectionism, this all or nothing type personality, this all or nothing type of mindset. And it's dangerous because it has gotten me into situations where I think that I want to do something and I want to go in a certain direction with my job or with, or take a risk on something. And I don't do it because I'm so scared that I'm going to fail at it. Mm -hmm. I'm so scared. Yeah. And I just don't think that that is, it's not a healthy way to have your kids live their life. Although I don't knock my parents for it. I think them pushing me develop my resilience and develop my perseverance. So that is a good thing. However, I am now having to kind of like take these little baby steps off the deep end and be like, mm, okay, I'm going to take that risk, but it's not a failure, Alora. If you don't, if it doesn't succeed, jump right back out, figure out another way to do it. Then go off the dive, diving board again. Doesn't work, come right back out. Like I had, I had to work through that. It's okay to fail. I think some of it us, are right. I think since we're all so close, everyone is really close. It's really six degrees of separation. Where everyone's so close, where we just think until you realize, like, nobody gives, nobody really gives an F. We just want to know if everyone's okay. That's it. You know? that, that really is okay. Are you living the life that you want to live? Right. Are you, That's uh, it. Okay. So what we're going to do is, before we get to the Hilltop questions, because since Japan was a whole big point of your life, this is a new thing we do on the podcast. Okay. This, this is very new. I'm going to ask you five questions, and I'm not going to interrupt these questions. I just want you to answer it the best way to your ability like shotgun style these are these are more because i figured we're talking about the most and the point of your life you said that yakota was really the the was uh what am i trying to say the crutch not the crutch but i mean this is where you spend most of your time yeah this is this is it we already got your first memory we want a good memory of yakota a bad memory of yakota a memory you'll never years. Huh? It don't matter. Again? Sum it up. A good memory, a bad memory, a memory you'll never forget, and your funniest memory being there. Oh, okay. Um, well, let's go ahead and get the bad out the way. My mom getting sick. Yes. Let's go ahead and get that one out the way. Um, a good memory? Mm -hmm. I would say my 13th birthday. My mom rented a van, and I think I took four or five of my closest friends and we went to this mini amusement park indoor gaming facility in Odaiba, Japan. And she paid for everyone. Paid for everyone to that was my 13th birthday. And that was that was a really good memory actually. That was really good. Um the most fun you said fun, right? Yes. Okay. Fun would be probably the spring breaks with my friends going to Disney, Fujifu Highland. I lived for those spring breaks, going to those amusement parks. That was definitely some of my most fun memories. And what was the last one? Memory you'll never forget. Memory I will never forget. Oof. Um, I, I'm going to relate it back to my mom. 
my, so prom my senior year, we had a couple of friends of mine who were underage, but they were dating seniors and their parents did not want them going to Rapungi to any of the clubs. Mm-hmm. Well, my mom came. <laughs> came we all could have fun. My mom said, well, I'm going to the club with you. Of course, I'm embarrassed and mortified. Like, no one's mom comes to that club. But that is, I will never forget that because that's just who my mom was. She wanted everyone to have fun. She wanted everyone to enjoy themselves. And if that meant that she had to be a chaperone for someone for a little bit and she had to stay up a little later than usual, well, <laughs> God damn it, I'm going to do it for my daughter. It's <laughs> amazing stories memories now we're going to go to you as a person we're going to us 31 now these questions i want you to think about your great 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 grandkids when they listen to this right think about this you're making a you're making a time capsule of you so you can answer these questions short form long form whatever you do this is about you and we're going to put this in a time capsule we're going to seal this away and give it to our ten thousand subscribers okay here we go do you believe in god absolutely do you have a favorite person in the bible Job. Why Job? Uh, just everything he went through, all the trials and tribulations that he went through, but his faith just never wavered. I mean, he lost his land, his family, like everything. Mm-hmm. And this man just said, nope, God's got me. And I'm just like, now that's some faith right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Job. Do you have a favorite verse in the Bible? Um, I can't think of the verse off the top of my head, I want to say it's in Luke, but um, let me see if I can look it up real quick, because it's it captures how I feel about myself now. Luke, first of all, let me see if I can do this one more. Shout out oh, to you Okay, yes, this is it. So it's Luke, verse 145, chapter 145. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Mm. That is... My uh, So when my dad got sick, some girls from PT school had gotten me some flowers and they wrote that verse in the card and it's stuck with me ever since. And anytime I get low, anytime I feel like I can't do this, nope, this is where I'm at, I I think of that verse and I'm like, nope, you've got to keep going. You've got to keep going. Hmm. When's the last time you had a nightmare? I don't know. I honestly don't really think I have too many nightmares. That's good. I have a dreamcaster above my bed, so maybe that's why. <laughs> what uh what's your biggest fear? Not living my purpose, not making an impact on this world. Mm. When's the last time you had a panic attack? Oh gosh, like a week ago? A week and a half ago, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a week and a half ago. What was that about? What did you panic about? Um, this is still like it was me, Jonathan, political stuff, but then I was also like, I think I felt kind of like um, I was being pulled in two different directions. So I was trying to be this very supportive girlfriend while I was also like trying to deal with the fact that, okay, I've got all this stuff to do with my dad's estate and the house and I've got to get this done and that done. But then I also got to go back to work next week. And it was just like anything you can possibly think of that I felt like I was out of control with, I was out of control with. And I think I projected a lot of that onto Jonathan and I just, I couldn't stop crying for like two days straight. He's like Mr. Miyagi a little bit. He's. <laughs> I know. 
he's like, nope, nope, nope. Like I said, he's just slow to anger. He talks me through things. Um, it's very beneficial. We balance, we do balance each other. I am a planner. I like to be in control of that aspect. He's someone who likes to kind of go with the flow. So in some instances we need to do that. In other instances we don't. So we kind of yeah. yeah, we're opposites in that aspect for sure. Do you believe in soulmates? I don't know. I I don't know, to be honest. Uh, ask me that in a year. <laughs> yeah, we'll do it again. Why not? Ask me that in a year. Okay. These are the last two questions, right? This sure. is a series of questions. This is called Who Are You? I don't know if you heard of it before. I'm okay. going to who are yeah, you? I heard you do with Brandy a little bit. So good podcast, by the way. Thank you. You know, uh, amazing podcast east of the Mississippi River. That's what people tell me. It was so good. I'm over here driving to Louisiana. I was like, damn, that's a really long podcast. Here I am two hours later into it. I'm like, well, we're going to finish it up. <laughs> I tell people all the time, I was like, you can't sum anybody's life up in an hour, man. No, absolutely not. The people that we do have, like now we got like celebrities and stuff like that. I'm just like, it doesn't work when you're trying to when you're trying to hide parts of your life. It only works. I don't care about what you've. I don't care about movies. I don't care about you as a person. You know. Nope. Yeah. Exactly. I'll let that. So yeah, it's called Who Are You. So the goal sure. is to go beyond yourself, right? You gotta think about this. When people listen to this, like through the future, not even people, your family, everyone else are gonna like. That's who she was. So. You want to do a demo round or you think you're good with it? I think I'll be okay. Let's just go for it. So who are you? All right. I am a Laura Marisa Bellinger. Who are you? I'm resilient. Who are you? I'm strong. Who are you? I'm loyal. Who are you? I am encouraging. Who are you? I am a child of God. Who are you? I am compassionate. Who are you? I'm kind. Who are you? I'm ambitious. Who are you? I'm perfectly imperfect. Who are you? I'm a giver. Usually when you take a pause is when we stop, but we can keep going for hours if we can keep going. I know, you really can. <laughs> going because it's, it's so much about being be honest. This is the last question. If yeah. someone had a book, right, and someone had their Laura Bellinger story, right, what would you want them to say about you when it's all said and done? Oof. That girl is a fighter. She's mm. a warrior. That's what I want someone to say. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Jared Waters. This is Alora Bellinger. Uh, if you want to follow her, you could drop your follow information. Do you want? You want the yeah. So Instagram is probably the best way. Yeah. What's your Instagram? Um, it is Lolo <laughs> underscore for show show. Wait. Say that again. <laughs> <laughs> so my nickname, especially from my dad, it's Lolo. So L O L O underscore F A S H O S H O. Lolo underscore for show show. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Laura Bellinger. This is one man, one tree, and a hill, folks. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that was part two for caregiver for caregiver, caregiver for caregiver for Laura Bellinger. What an amazing story, right? You couldn't write that story unless you had the script. 
uh, forgive us if you had any interference of sounds. You know, we've been editing it down at the time. Uh, there was uh, some technical difficulties, but we pushed through it. In a story like that, you can only tell once, you know? story like that, you got to, it's in the moment, you take it. And, uh, man, think about that. She's been care being a caregiver for that long, and now at 31, now she has a new lease on life. You know, it's, it, it does suck, you know, not having any parents and stuff like that, and I don't, I don't know what that feels like. But now she's just, it's a new take. It's just like, I imagine what we're going to say in 10 more years when we come back and talk about this, when we make another time capsule, you know? So that's just dope. I appreciate Alora for being so open and so honest. And it's so crazy how, like, I just, as soon as so much stuff, I identify with her, the perfection of you, you sometimes you, you want to maintain the perfection so you don't ask for help. You just go through things alone instead of saying, like, yo, I need help. Like, I feel that so much. So if you want to hit up Alora, you can, uh, uh, I wouldn't say slide in her DMs because she's taken uh, and her man might throw an axe at you. And... <laughs> Uh, and their first day was extra, that's why. But um, I was if you if you hit her up, you know what I mean. If you have any questions, hit us up. We'll hit her up and stuff like that. Uh, our Instagram is Lolo for Show. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Uh, my name is Jared Waters. This is the podcast One Man One Tree in a Hill. Have a wonderful day, night, wherever you are in the world. Hey, you're live on the podcast One Man One Tree in a Hill. Say what up to the people. Now this is when I see Black Excellence. It's Keenan Thompson, and I see this giant butt. I'm like, oh, who is that? Turns out it's Questlove. Dave Chappelle, Chris Rock, Eddie Murphy, and they're all sitting at the table, and I walk up to Eddie Murphy, and I was like, hey, Mr. Murphy, I just want to say you're the GOAT, man, and you're the coldest that ever walked the face of the earth. You gotta break that thing over. She wants it private, but y'all not even together right now. So we haven't spoken about anything but the cat for at two least months. two months. And then I said, and I said, uh-uh, and I'm be the next Jamar Neighbors. And she was up like, I know that's right. <laughs> uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to the podcast. My name is Jerry Waters, and I'll catch you next time. Like, subscribe, rate the podcast. Have a wonderful night, wonderful day, whatever you're listening to. I'll see you soon.